Welcome to Masterclass Theology. We are in the book of Matthew. I am Joel, sometimes called Big Rev. Uh, that's from my, uh, my non-riding motorcycle days. My road name, Big Rev. You know, you know you like that. We are in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. We've got to finish up chapter 24. Jesus has been talking about the end times. We've got to wrap that up. And then we've got to lead into 25. And he's going to keep talking about this theme. And that theme is this. It's on the top of your page. Ready. And I got to thinking about a time when, when I was getting ready for something. And it was uh, the summer of uh, my, between my junior and senior years. I was living in uh, Galesburg, Illinois. I was uh, attending Knox College. And I decided, I was in a frat house. And I decided that summer I wasn't going to go home. I was going to stay on campus. And I was going to live in the frat house. And because we, our frat house would like uh, rent out summer rooms. So you could stay in a frat brother's room over the summer. You would pay some nominal rent or whatever. And you know, you get whatever utilities in there. You could do your laundry on site, whatever. You just pay some nominal rent. And then you got to stay in basically like a really cheap apartment with, you know, it's a frat house. It's not gonna be the greatest house to live in. It will kind of run down or whatnot. So I would collect rent. And I stayed for free. I'd mow the lawn, that kind of stuff. But that wasn't my job. I stayed because I was going to do a job called casual labor. And what casual labor ended up being was get a bunch of young, strong college guys and work them to the bone in like essentially non-union jobs. It's just basically just work them till they can't work anymore, sweating. It got so hot that summer, I shaved my head bald. And I put a bandana on. I can't take it anymore. But you know what that summer got me ready for? I had to learn. I'd, I'd already learned how to do my own laundry. But that summer got me ready for grocery shopping. I had to grocery shop. I had to meal plan. I had to plan out my week of meals. Now, little did I know that I was going to be the chief cook and bottle washer in a household one day where I, I find great joy planning out weeks of meals. Of course, I find great joy in eating weeks of meals. <laughs> but I go to the grocery store with a thought in mind, I'm going to have these meals planned out. I grocery shop. I come home. I stock the fridge. I cook all the meals. See, I grew up with my dad always in the kitchen. My dad was the one who was, so I grew up thinking, well, gosh, that's where a man's supposed to be. A man's supposed to be in the kitchen. I can't go to sleep if the kitchen is dirty. If the dishwasher is running or something, now that you've got a dishwasher, like, wow, that's music to my ears. That summer taught me to cook. Yes, my earliest meals were like hamburger helper and tuna helper. They weren't that much to write home about. I would make a full box of it, eat half of it the night before, and the next day was my lunch. Working all day out in the sun, casual labor. That summer got me ready. That summer got me ready to be a little bit more of an adult. It was like husband training. We came into this marriage and I told my wife, I hope we don't mind, I like to cook. She said, I'll twist my arm. <laughs> and I do, I just, that's what I do. And so that, that really got me prepared. My life just took a different term on a domestic level. I got just a bit more ready. So when I got my first apartment later on, my culinary skills had gotten a bit greater than Tuna Helper. I was able to do things. I was able to, you know, cook fresh meat and put it with rice and have cheese over the top. And I know, I know, it's dinner time. But still, yeah, that summer 
played its part to get me ready. So that's where we're starting with. Ready. Are you ready? God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for these uh, dear men and women in this room to study your word. I just pray that, God, we would remain faithful tonight. We would listen to what you have for us and that we would be not only challenged but encouraged to live your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we start off with mourn. We're in chapter 24 of Matthew. This is 29 to 35, but i got to read a couple verses. They are in red, red type at the top of your page. One is from the guy I was named after, Joel. Hey, if I had a choice to put, put a quotation from Joel in this class, you know i got to do it. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Yeah, before that was a cheesy mini driver movie. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. And in Hebrews 12, Esau, who for a single meal sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could find no ground for repentance, though he sought the blessing with tears, mourn, tears, weeping. Matthew 24, 29 to 35, Jesus says, immediately after the distress of those days. Remember, he'd been talking about the great tribulation. Okay. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. That's a different way of talking about the compass rose, north, south, east, west, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its figs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus, by the way, wasn't wrong because before some of these people had died, Rome sacked Jerusalem. That's A.D. 70. So within 30 to 40 years, it happened. We know John was still alive by then. So that came true. Rome sacked Jerusalem and got everything started. What he'd been talking about the chapter before. Now, morning. This is where I want us to focus on. We, unfortunately, with such... A large chunk of scripture, we got to paint with broad brush strokes. But now we can pick up a small paintbrush. Morning. You see, I got, I got blanks for you to fill in on your page. Number one, the world's principle is this. Mourn after disaster. I still remember after 9-11. That very night, or it was the next night, maybe, I think 9-11 was a Tuesday, but I had to do a Wednesday night service or if it was a Wednesday, I had to do it that night. I forget what it was. And it was, it was a Tuesday, but I had to do a Wednesday night service. And we were mourning. We were just, oh, God, what are you doing here? God, what's going on? What's your plan? Why did this happen? Help us understand, God. We were just trying to pick up the pieces. As people in New York were literally picking up the pieces. We were just trying to wrap our minds about this. We were mourning after the disaster. That's not the principle here. The biblical principle is mourn before disaster. That Joel passage, in the context of prophet Joel is promising this gigantic locust plague. 
and the locusts are poetically described as God's army that's going to come and whip up the nation, destroy them. And so he says to the prophet Joel, mourn. It's coming. Mourn. Now what does this all mean? Think about for a second your sin. Think about Esau, the second example we used. Did it do him any good after the fact to mourn, to weep? No. Daddy, Daddy Isaac didn't give him anything. He did not give him the blessing that he was longing for because he gave it up for that bowl of lentil stew. Let me put it to you this way. You are going to mourn. The question is, when are you going to mourn? Are you going to mourn now before all this calamity comes? Mourning and repenting of your own sin? Broken and humiliated, humbled by the weight of your own sin? That you are mourning in tears and turning back to God? Oh God, please forgive me. I turn away from my selfishness and turn to you. And I'm doing so with, with, with rending my heart and not just my garment. I'm mourning on the inside. I'm being broken. Are you going to be broken now? Or are you going to be like the kings of the earth that Jesus talks about? Because when the Son of Man comes again, the kings of the earth, the Gentiles, the ones who don't know Jesus are going to go, Oh, golly. And I cleaned it up nicely for you. Because they're going to realize that they had Jesus all wrong. And it's too late. So they're going to be mourning. But they're mourning after. We mourn. We mourn our sin and our shame. We mourn our brokenness before. And we turn to God now. The next section is called ignorant. Now, ignorant used to be a, a bad word. If someone called you ignorant, oh, how dare you? How dare you call me ignorant? Ignorant's not a bad word. There are many things I'm ignorant of. An obvious example having a baby. I'm ignorant of having a baby. Oh, I was there. I held my wife's hand and she squeezed me till I was purple. Oh yeah, that first pregnancy when, 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 when she dilated so fast, there was no time to kick in the epidural. She had to go commando. That's a strong woman, that woman. Yeah, I was there. I was there for the contractions. I was there for the whole thing. But I was just there in theory. I didn't experience any of it. The pain. So I am ignorant of that because I can't possibly know what she knows. Ignorance is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just you just have not experienced. You have no way to understand. Ignorance is not stupid. Stupid's kind of a bad thing. In fact, that's a word we don't say in our house. Because I got a, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. We try to keep stupid out of our vocabulary. And I say it more often than I should. Than everyone. Now that daddy said stupid, you can bet your bottom dollar that every other... And, Oh, he's telling us to bet now. No, you can just guarantee that every kid in the house is going to say stupid because daddy says stupid. And the moment anyone says anything about it, well, daddy said it. Yeah, well, daddy is stupid. Yeah, there we go. Ignorant. 36 to 44. But about that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. The angels are ignorant. Nor the son. Jesus is ignorant. But only the father. He's not ignorant. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. 
Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, and this is most likely they were sitting, you know, kind of facing each other on the ground with a mill in between them, and one woman would turn it at 180 degrees, and the other one on the other side would turn it the, the following 180 degrees to turn the mill because it was so heavy. The point is not that Jesus is causing some to be raptured and others not to be raptured. Again, we don't know if they're being taken in glory or taken in judgment. We just don't know that. Jesus doesn't tell us. The point is not that some get taken and others don't. The point is, this is unexpected. They had no idea. My goodness, all of Noah's countrymen, all the people around them, they were just going on and living lives. All of a sudden, boom, the flood came. Done. Unexpected. Unexpected. We are ignorant of when it's going to be. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour where you do not expect him. So number one, don't waste time trying to figure out when. If there are people out there that there's like a cottage industry of people trying to figure out when he's going to come and what month. Trust me, if no one knows the day or the hour, I guarantee you it doesn't take great leaps of induction to now deduce with deduction that you also don't know the month or the year. If no one knows the day or the hour, you don't know the month or the year. Anyone who says they do know, hogwash, horse feathers, wrong. I mean, please, think about it for a second. Jesus just said he doesn't know. You want to hold that on Jesus? Well, I get it. All right, I get it. You don't know, Lord, but I've done some mathematical work. <laughs> I got my charts out. I figured things out. Baloney. He's ignorant. You're ignorant. Don't waste time with this. Number two, there will be no keeping up appearances. We've all done that. We know there's going to be a birthday party at your house and you're inviting all the in-laws over and you've got this, you've got that. So you now know what rooms of that house are going to be rooms that are used. And maybe you have a junk drawer. What do we have? We have at least one junk room. That is, that door's not open during the party, right? You start by cleaning the bathrooms. You make sure the kitchen's clean, the room you're going to open presents in, all tidied up. And the rest of the rooms, you put them as you can do them with the amount of time and sanity you have left. You do that because you're trying to fool everybody into thinking, look at you, you're so well put together. Boy, you keep a nice house. <laughs> I did this a day at the dentist's office. I, for some reason, I have uh, bad genetics when it comes to metabolism. I have superb genetics when it comes to dental health. She's, the, the dental hygienist is putting flossing, she's flossing my teeth, and she goes, wow, Mr. Bradshaw, your gums, they're so great. You must floss all the time. I said, uh, you're going to hate me. The last time I flossed, you were flossing me. <laughs> I brush my teeth like mad. I just don't floss. I just, just, whatever it is, I just don't do it, but my gums are like I floss four times a day. They're beautiful. I can pull a fast one on the dentist every time. I can keep up dental appearances because I know in fact in fact I, I, I did this today like right before oh man you never brush your teeth more with more attention than just before you go to that dentist and, oh man I was working the gums I was going at I had this froth coming down my beard I was just really 
really brushing my teeth. In fact, that wasn't true. I, I did floss. I flossed once. I flossed that one time. Like, oh yeah, she's gonna see my teeth. There you go. Uh, uh. I was going at it, bleeding everywhere. Just, just like I'm gonna bleed now instead of bleeding there. So I get in there. She's like, wow, look at you. Like, yeah, yeah. Keep that is the dump room when a party's coming over. You see, when you know when something's coming, you can pull crap like that. And you can have, well, I'll just push everything over there. And hey, don't go in that room. Just, you know, don't do it. We're good. Just the whole rest of the house is good. I, I vacuumed here. Yeah, you want to go here. Over there? Come on, please. There's no keeping up appearances if he's coming unexpectedly. Ignorance discourages selfishness. I, I used to be part of this thing called The Biggest Loser, not the TV show. But while the TV show was going on, the, the weight loss center, the fitness center I was belonging to, they did a plan called The Biggest Loser. It, by the way, that show is probably not on the air anymore. But the guaranteed person who has a chance of winning is the biggest, sloppiest, fattest guy. Because A, he's got a lot to lose. And B, guys lose it quick. And so his percentages are going to be off the charts. That's what happened with me. I put my nose to the grindstone, and all these ladies were like, man, you just keep dropping. And what are you doing? I'm like, eating a ham sandwich. I don't know. You know, it just, it just flew off. It just flew off. But I had this thing. Friday was my weigh day. Okay? Friday night, I'm weighing. I'm eating like a champ the whole week. Diet, exercise, doing everything right. Now, what does that mean when Friday is your weigh day? You can bet your bottom dollars Friday night I'm doing Chinese takeout and loading up because I know I got all week to work it off. That's baloney. You see, when we're ignorant of him coming back, we can't pull that malarkey with Jesus. We have to be real. What would have been better for the biggest loser would be, hey, hi, I just showed up at your house on a random Thursday with a scale. Get on. No time to plan. At least let me take my shoes off. Take your shoes off. Get on. But it's not Friday. I know. Get on. Because that's what Jesus is going to do. He's just going to come back. We don't expect it. Ignorance discourages selfishness. When you don't know when he's coming back, you can't live life on your terms. We can't do that anyway with Jesus. So why would we try to keep a dirty room in our house as if he's not going to know? Faithful, 45 to 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will all be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Number one, focus on who you need to be, and it will influence what you should be doing. How, how faithful do I need to be? What's faithful and wise? Well, what is Jesus expecting of you? Rather than worrying about when's he coming back, because if I know he's coming back on a Friday, that means I can get drunk on Tuesday and I'll have a hangover Wednesday. I can't get her over that. Maybe Thursday I can have the hair of the dog and then I'll be ready by Friday. Here I am. I can be faithful. Yeah, I can, I can have 
have some fun, and then I can get myself cleaned up real quick right before Friday when he comes. No. That's hypocrisy. And we all know plenty of people who do that. You know you do because you are that person. And I know that's the truth because I am that person. We are selfish. We choose my will over thy will every time we sin. And the Bible is clear. We are all sinners. And we cannot possibly work our way to pay off that debt of that sin. But I thank our Lord Jesus that while we were still those sinners, he died for us. The righteous dying for the ungodly. Be faithful. How do you build character? You start by duty. You don't want to do it. You know, I'm talking, yes, sir, kind of duty. Like army strong, marching orders, duty. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do my duty. <sighs> duty. I know. Nobody likes it, but you do it. My wife came through this morning, and I was, I woke up early. My son is laying on the couch. He came out and he fell asleep on the couch. I was out there with my cup of coffee. I wanted a quiet house. I wanted a cup of coffee. My first cup of coffee. The quiet cup of coffee for all you coffee drinkers. You don't talk to me yet, cup of coffee. Joshua's asleep. Julie is asleep. And Jen, it's her, it's her early morning. So I wanted to be up anyway and do my quiet time. She comes through and she says, Joel, we let the dog out. Okay. Set the coffee down. I go let the dog out come back to my spot, back to my quiet time again. She comes through again, Joel, will you feed the dog? I rolled my eyes. <laughs> I bit my tongue, but rolled my eyes. Still count as sarcasm? Yep. Bad move, Joel. She's like, Joel, come on, I'm getting the clothes out for the kids. Can you do that? Yeah, I just shut my mouth. I got up and I did that. I went back to my seat. By that time, Josh was starting to wake up. My quiet time's gone. Fine, whatever. No big deal. I, I, I'm not, not complaining. Duty. The more you do your duty, the more it tends to lead to devotion. I love you. Therefore, I wish to serve you. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ didn't do his duty. Christ gave himself up for her. That's devotion. That is a for God so loved the world. Duty turns to devotion. And devotion, if consistently applied on a day-to-day -day basis, is a discipline. That's how you build character. It starts by duty. You don't want to do it, but you do it enough times and it's devotion. You begin to, begin to enjoy doing it because you're serving something greater than yourself. And at a certain point, that devotion will lead to a discipline. And now you have learned something as a disciple same word, discipline, disciple. Number three, well, what am I supposed to do? How do, I, how do I know what I should be doing and what I should not be doing? I do what I do because I want what I want. We discussed this last week, I believe. Why do you still struggle with your sin? Because you want what you want. So what do you want? I want this. That's why you do what you do, because you want what I want. How come I can't get rid of this sin, this habit, this hang-up, this hurt? How come I can't put my past in its place? How come life keeps kicking my rear the same way? Because you do what you do because you want what you want. How do you get out of that? Figure out what in the Sam Hill you want. See if that is a godly want. See if you're willing to sin to keep that want. If you are, then it's an idol. And that desire is in James is dragging you away. As James talks about sin giving birth and desires drag you. 
I do what I do because I want what I want. That's one of the greatest sentences you'll ever read. Almost every one of your problems comes back to that sentence right there. You do what you do because you want what you want. 25. Come to chapter 25. Prepared. 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they were all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. That all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are gone out. No, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go, those who sell, go, to, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way back from buying the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. I don't know you, he said. Truly, therefore keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. Flip that page over if you would. Prepare. I got you an acronym. Yes, I went past my one page thing. It's still the page. P, possibilities. You are prepared. Any possibilities, come what may. We talked about that last week, that song from Moulin Rouge. You are ready. Some of those virgins in that parable weren't ready. The possibility that I might need oil for those lamps, forget about it. R, readiness. Prepare means to consider the possibilities. R is readiness. In fact, there's a whole cottage industry of, uh, uh, what is it, uh, preppers, I think they're called. All these catalog full of stuff you can stock your house with. In case doomsday were to happen, you have such and such months worth of food that doesn't perish or whatnot. Okay. Things to make water. Okay. Preppers. Readiness. E, expectation. You are expecting Jesus to come. When we say thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in the Lord's prayer, we are wanting his kingdom to come. That wasn't me most of my life. I was terrified of the book of Revelation. Then I began to fall in love with the book of Revelation because I wanted to find out what was going to happen. And then I became terrified all over again. I said, God, I want to live a long life first. God, I want to grow up and I want to finish college and I want to get married and have kids and I want to have grandkids. I want to retire from a job. I want a long, full life. Then come, Lord Jesus, come. Can you see how selfish that was? As in, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But let me press unpause first. Then we can keep going. I want to live my life first, Lord. Patience is the next P. So possibilities... Readiness, expectation, patience. The letter A is always, you are always ready. I don't care when, because just take this, the parable of face value. If you are longing for your Lord to come, you don't know when he's going to come. When he comes, you are ready for him to come. The next R is responsibility. You have a responsibility, responsibility to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, Paul says. And the last E is endurance. Possibilities, readiness, expectation, patience, always, responsibility, endurance. Prepare. Prepare. Always. Be prepared for the Lord's coming back like a dog and not like a cat. Some of you are cat people, and I'm needlessly offending you. But I've had cats. 
I've had cats that stare outside the window and go at everything that's in the yard and want to go after every bird and every squirrel. But you come home and they largely don't care. Maybe they run to the door. Maybe if they don't know you, they run to hide in the closet. But they largely don't care. They're like, oh, you're home. Hi. Maybe you'll serve me now, slave. I'm the cat. I'm in charge around here. The dog, however... Oh, goodness. I'm home on Mondays. My day off is Monday. I'm home, and Julia does not have preschool. She's a, she's a Tuesday, Thursday. So Monday, we drop the boy off at school, and there's me and Julia home for most of the day till Jen comes home, and the dog knows that the dog loves my wife. The sun rises and falls, according to my wife, with that dog. She does not stop pacing the house. She goes by the front door and sniffs the door. All around the door, non-stop, hours go by. She's still pacing for mommy to come home. What a good object lesson. My goodness, that dog, possibilities, readiness, expectation, patience, always responsibility, endurance. That dog endures with her preparedness. The cat, eh, whatever. If he comes, he comes. And when he does, well, I got a ticket to ride, so I'll be okay. The dog... You are everything to that dog. It's a good object lesson for us. Wait for our master, not like the nonchalant, apathetic cat, but like the slobbering, feverish dog who can't wait for the master to come. Steward, 14 to 30. Again, Jesus says again, because he keeps giving story after story. You think he wants his people to understand? I think so, because he keeps giving them more to talk about. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags also gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five. I've gained five more. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In my prayer time, I long for that. Those are the greatest words that will ever be spoken to me. I pray they will be spoken to me. When I enter heaven one day, I like to think I'll be on my face. Just for, for a few thousand years, not wanting to get off my face. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Millenniums of thank yous. Until Jesus... I like to think in my dream, get up, pal. Well done. I want that well done more than I want many of the things. Number two here, be motivated by that potential well done. So, of course, the one who had been given three bags or two bags, excuse me, I've gained two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and show your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one bag of gold came. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not sat or seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew, did you, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then... You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. 
So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10. Whoever ha who has will be given more and will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when they have, will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus keeps this weeping and mourning stuff going, doesn't he? You're either going to weep and mourn towards your sin now, before the calamity strikes, because after it strikes, you can cry rivers of tears. It's not going to matter. Your brokenness has no teeth at that point. Because everything's done. Oh, I repent. Right. You had your chance. You repent now? Gee, I wonder why. Is it because you're going to go to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth? You're either going to weep and mourn before the calamity strikes, or you're going to weep and mourn after. I advise you to be broken now. Repent now. Don't wait till the end when it's too late. Wow, so much that we could unpack here. We're not going to do it. Because the main point of Jesus is you don't know when that master's coming back to, in this case, settle accounts. We don't know when I'm going to give an account. Yeah, that's a business term. It comes from this. To give an accounting. Still a business term. Bring out your ledger books. We're going to give an accounting this the point is the guy who was passive and didn't do anything because he had an excuse and that excuse was fear or that excuse was oh god you don't know what cards i'm holding you don't know what i have to deal with you don't know how mean people are you don't know how shy i am you don't know i've got this disease lord i've got this i've got that i don't have what he has or what she has i can't possibly do what he does or what she does did you know the master handed out the gold because according to what According to what he already knew about these people and their abilities, as if God's not going to expect you to do what he entrusted to you, but I can't do what other people can do. That is a non sequitur. It does not follow. That's not what God is doing with you. God's not expecting you to be me or me to be you. He's expecting you to be you and to be faithful to him with whatever amount he gives you, whether it's five bags or one bag. And that doesn't even matter. The point of this story is the master coming and expecting an accounting and the passive servant. Pat, there's no passivity with what you've been entrusted. Well, I'm prepared for him to come, so I just better not do anything. Because if I get too busy with something, he's going to come and it's not going to be done. And Oh, well, when he comes back, may he find you faithful. And that, that's the last story here. Perspective. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels will be with Him. He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I am not a shepherd. I read about this, so I can't say this. I am ignorant of shepherding in terms of uh, flocks and fields. But I read that sheep and goats, providing the eating is good, that graze together. They get along just fine together. They eat together. But goats are hardier, or excuse me, sheep are hardier creatures. When they gather them all in, they have to separate them because the cold nights the goats can't take, but the sheep can. And so the goats need to be huddled together. Or maybe I got that exactly wrong. I forget how it was. One of the animals can take it. The other one can't. So they got to separate them. And here we've got 
Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Jesus does not hate left-handed people. The right hand was a seat of power and prominence and favor. If you sat at somebody's right hand, you were liked by them. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, we are told. Okay. He separates them. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, the ones on his right, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Notice in this parable, both the sheep and the goats are surprised. The ones that just got an attaboy from the shepherd are going, wait a minute. I mean, we're not looking to gift horse in the mouth or a gift sheep. What would it be there? We're not looking this in the mouth, but just humorous. When did we do this? When did we do all these things to you? In verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then, of course, it it unfolds the exact opposite for the goats. You did not do all these things for me. They're also surprised. Of course, their surprise is taking on a different note because they just got sent to to punishment versus reward. Wait a minute. You're holding this against us, but when did we... You know, the Apostle Paul learned the same stinking lesson in Acts. He gets knocked to the road... And uh, he sees this vision of Jesus, this bright light. And what was Saul going to do? He was going to persecute who? The church. Yeah. And Jesus says what? Saul, why are you persecuting who? Yeah, himself. Jesus says me. So you persecute the church and Jesus takes it. Jesus takes offense at that. Same principle here. All these things you did for these least of my brothers and sisters you've done unto me. All those you did not do for these least of my brothers and sisters you did not do to me. Therefore you are surprised. But here it is. Truly I tell you, verse 45 says, Whatever you did not do for one of these least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Number one, Jesus has standards. There is a right and a wrong. There is an in and an out. You see, our culture today likes to say this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Well, logically, you can be sincerely wrong. I'm sincere. He really means it, Joel. Come on. How can you tell him his grandmother is going to hell because she doesn't believe in you? I mean, come on. Look at the kind of life she lived. Jesus Separate sheep and goats. There's a right and there's a wrong. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, the life. No one cometh unto the Father except the gospel is an inclusive gospel and that all may come. It is an exclusive gospel and that you may only come through Jesus. That's not tolerant. Tough. That's not the point. That's not politically correct. It never was meant to be. To Jesus, there is a right and a wrong. There is an in and an out. Number two, Jesus entrusts you with ministries of care. Did you hear that? Did you hear what Jesus just said? Yeah, I didn't mean the cell phone, but I guess you can hear that too. <laughs> Jesus expects you to care for the least of these. 
I used to be involved, it was in between church jobs, and I did the greatest ministry I've ever done. I served in a group home to uh, individuals with developmental disabilities. You have not been greeted and so you've been greeted by a person like that who doesn't remember much, but I remember you. I'm glad you came back. I like you. You're a great guy. Those are the least of these. The ones that our culture says least. That was care ministry before I even knew I was going to be a care pastor. Jesus is expecting you to serve the least of these. I say this as a care pastor. You may not be sitting there as an ordained minister, but you've been ordained. Ordained to mean set apart by a local church. Well, you've been set apart by God here himself. Care for those no one else is caring for. I do that still. It ain't because I'm great. I'm not. But I do it still. I don't serve in a group home anymore. Oh, I love that. You, you don't know the least of these until so you're trying to help some man who's cussing you out as he's flinging his own feces at you. All you're do, trying to do is put a sock on and stop him from kicking you while he's in his wheelchair. And just doing it out of love, knowing that he has to get dressed to get to the table to eat and later get his medicine and get bathed and go about his day because he bears the image of God and deserves just as much dignity and respect as I do. That's the least of these. Put yourself in positions like that where someone who can't possibly repay you, someone who needs the love of Jesus so much because Jesus, as we see in number three, he takes ministry personally. What you do, he notices and he pays attention to. What you don't do, same deal. I go to the nursing home every Sunday and I deal with people screeching and yelling and, you know, Sometimes having hard days with their medicine, they're cussing me out, and they're, they're dealing with all these things. And bless their heart, they're doing the best they can. I get it. I wish I could one day be in a position like them. They look at me and walking in on two feet. They roll in on four wheels. What in the same hill is this guy going to say to me? I'm plucking my guitar and singing songs and preaching to him. And these people need Jesus' love just as much as you do. But there are more least of these. Care for the least of these. Jesus takes ministry personally. There's a right way and a wrong way. I pray as you are ready, do the right way. Now, as I like to end this with a no, a be, and a do. Again, this is Scooby-Doo's long-lost cousin, no-be-doo. It's a cheesy joke, but we'll do it. These are things that applying this to myself, things that I need to know, things that I need to be and to do. You are invited to take this home with you and fill this out yourself. But for the sake of all that's holy, I will give you what I wrote down for myself. Because if I'm not willing to apply this, i got no business teaching it. What do I need to know? I need to know that this life matters. There is no do-over. This life matters. How I live this life matters. It matters to Jesus. It better doggone matter to me. This life matters. How I care. Who I care. Poor. How faithful I am. This life matters. I better live appropriately. B. What's the obvious one? Be ready. Be prepared. Boy Scout motto. Fine. Be prepared. I gave you a bunch of... You can tell I spent some time on my thesaurus today with that thing on the back of your page. Know this life matters. Be ready. Do. I need to repent. And repent, I've said this before, is like a gift tag you get at Christmas. To and from. 
You look for all the twos to find your name. And those make you smile. Ooh, that one's for me. Repent to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn from your sin and your selfishness. You need to repent. Well, I said that prayer years ago. I got baptized. Great! You still need to repent. Because you still deal with your sin. You still deal with your selfishness. Repent of that while you still have time. Mourn over the wretch that you are. Come before God in brokenness. Repent. Trust. We said this last week. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the A and the Z. He's in control of the A and at the Z. He's in control from the B to the Y. Finally, serve. Do you know that, that, that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, Hey, let my people go that they may go and uh, serve me. In the wilderness. Service in the Old Testament equaled worship. What do you serve? You either serve God or something that's not God. You do what you do because you want what you want. What do you serve? If it is not God, it's probably an idol. Then you go back to the Ten Commandments and you realize you just broke commandment number one. You need to start over with God. God, break me down and build me up. You're God and I'm not. Theology 101. Until then, be ready. This has been the Masterclass Theology, the Book of Matthew, 24 and 25. God bless.